Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Music Therapy Show. This is Janice Lindstrom. I'm the host and producer of the show, and I have been a board-certified music therapist for 20 years. I just got my new recertification certificate from the Certification Board for Music Therapy in the mail this week, so it's official. I'm uh, board-certified for five more years, and uh, today is Friday, November 20th, 2015, and I just got back from the American Music Therapy Association conference in Kansas City last uh, Sunday, and today I wanted to talk about my what I learned at this conference. So uh, if you'd like to interact with me, you can contact me at heartbeatmusictherapy.net, or you can call into the show, 646 646- Six five two two eight five zero, and let me know about your conference experience. I wanted to start off by giving a shout out to Jennifer Hazuki of Life Song Therapy in Jacobsburg, Ohio, and you can find her work at lifesongtherapy.com. Jennifer took some time to introduce herself to me and to say that she listens to this show, and I really appreciated that. There were two other people that mentioned that to me, um, which was really nice, but they didn't tell me what their name was, so I can't give them a shout-out. But I really appreciate hearing from listeners because I started this show to talk about music therapy, to talk to people that might be interested in music therapy, and to share some of of what I know and think about music therapy. So um, I think we're on around the 220th episode somewhere around there, but I'm still trying to reorient post-conference and getting back into the swing of things at home, so I don't don't have all those details. But uh, let's get into it. So the, the 2015 Annual Conference of the American Music Therapy Association celebrated the 65th anniversary of music therapy, the first official programs and uh, education for, to become a professional music therapist happened in 1950. So we're 65 years out. And the theme of this conference was music therapy, continuum of growth. And this was at the Sheraton Kansas City Hotel in Kansas City, Missouri, November 12th through the 15th. I've been to a lot of conferences, and uh, I was really excited by them when I first started going back in 1992. And then after a few years, maybe about 10 years of conference attendance, I just kind of lost that spark. And part of that was because I had a lot of responsibilities. So I started becoming a leader in our field and in the associations and uh, then I would have to attend a lot of meetings at conferences instead of just doing continuing ed at conferences. So that really changed my experience of conference. Um, so it, it kind of took a toll on my conference attendance. So this year I was thrilled and honored to be chosen to be a conference scholar, which meant that I got a scholarship to attend conference from AMTA uh, which was really great because otherwise I don't think that it would have been a good financial choice for my family for me to go. So I was glad I was able to go. I also, for the first time since 1992, did not have any responsibilities to uh, for attendance at, at meetings or any leadership roles. Um, so that felt really good to be able to just attend conference. And I started off, uh, I got in really late Tuesday night, Actually, it was early Wednesday morning when I actually got in. But uh, I started off with 
uh, institute at 8.30, Wednesday, November 11th. This institute was one of the, it was free. There's a benefit for current AMTA members to attend for free. And it's called Documentation and Music Therapy, How to Be Effective, Consistent, and Thoughtful. And the presenters were Petra Kern, Angie Snell, Olivia Swedberg-Yinger, and Amy Robertson and Jamie George. Uh, and I chose this one because it was free. So my conference scholarship included a free institute, a free CMTE, and then registration, $500 for expenses, which was really great. Um, and I picked this one because it was free, and I am always looking for new ways to teach documentation to students. Um, I feel like that was something that was kind of lacking in my education. I didn't really learn how to document until I got to my internship. So now when I'm teaching practicum students, I try to make sure that they understand documentation. So I was looking for some new techniques for that. Um, and the presentation was organized so brilliantly by Petra Kern, who always organizes everything really well. It seems like it's probably a lot of work and um, maybe a little bit difficult to work with at first, but it just makes it, she does this nice organization when she's on my radio show and it just makes it run so smoothly. And I would imagine that it happened the same way for this institute. And so they had the different presenters. Um, Angie Snell talked about the documentation in schools and uh, Dr. Yinger, Swedberg Yinger, talked about documentation in medical settings. And I believe she also covered the NICU. I'm looking at my notes, and I didn't take the best notes about who said what. But then Jamie George talked about private practice. So maybe Amy Robertson. Oh, she came in by, um, by video, I believe, to talk about the NICU. And then uh, everything was kind of organized by Petra Kern. And so she gave, like, an introduction and some background and then a follow-up at the end, too. And each presenter answered the following questions for their setting. And the first question was, what should be documented? And then, what could I use in my clinical practice? And how does what I observe translate into writing? And how can I do my best and make the most of my time? Also, what should I consider and... where, oh, sorry, I can't read my own handwriting sometimes. Where do I keep my clients' records? And then questions for the presenter. So those were the main topics that each presenter covered. And uh, so they all talked about the process for schools, for medical settings, for the NICU, and for the um, private practice. And so... And then there were some apps and things that were discussed. Um, So my takeaways were to just remind myself of the process and how it's similar for for music therapy across the board, but it goes. There's a little bit of differences in each setting, and I've worked in each of these settings, and I just don't think I thought about documentation quite in this way. Um, What I liked the best was the information about the structured progress notes from the medical setting and the different structures that could be used. So I got a lot of information there. And um, the I just thought it was really unique that there was a video example. Or, yeah, that's also what I like. So each 
presenter showed in the How Does What I Observe Translate Into Writing, they each showed a video of a session, a clip of a session. And then they showed how they documented that session. So that was really useful. Uh, and I, one of the presenters, Dr. Swedberg Yinger, wrote some multiple choice questions, I think, for how she teaches this uh, that I thought was really useful about um, she showed a, a way to document or she showed a problem statement and then uh, gave two or, or three options for documentation and then would talk about what's the best way and why. And I thought that was a really good way to to show uh, the documentation styles and the difference between clinical writing and like journal writing um, or report writing, so formal essays and things, which I think students have a, a tough time with. So I thought that was a really valuable um, CMTE and AMTA recorded it, so they're going to sell it as an online course too. So you can look for that. Then, in the afternoon, I attended psychotherapy. Where does it fit in your music therapy practice? And this was an institute that was presented by Barbara Dunn and Christine Routier. And uh, I chose this one because I don't actually know a whole lot about psychotherapy. So I've been educated about psychotherapy. But in Texas, the LPCs, the Licensed Professional Counselors, actually attempted to write music therapy as a counseling technique into their law, their licensure law, which would have prevented all of us board-certified music therapists in Texas from being able to practice, even though we are able to practice without doing counseling techniques. So in Texas, since we we did, we were, we were successful back in the 90s in getting an exemption to that law, and because of that whole thing, I was I have always been really careful to make sure that I work within my scope of practice and to never call what I do psychotherapy. So I think that people have different interpretations of what psychotherapy means. I always make sure to be really clear about what I do and what I address as a music therapist and how I address it and to never refer to it as psychotherapy. But I'm always interested in it, and I feel like I uh, need to know about the, this side and this aspect of therapy and music therapy practices that use psychotherapy. Um, so I wasn't really expecting to get a whole lot out of it for my own personal use, just some education that I could use in some way, just to know more about music therapy. And uh, it was actually a really good session. Um, it was about this time that I was already tired of sitting in those conference chairs, which, you know, those are tough to sit in for hours at a time, at, like these long institutes. And I remember the last time I was able to attend some CMTEs and things like that before conference uh, several years ago before I got too involved in association work, um, it was just the hardest thing, and I couldn't focus on the topics, and just the sitting was terrible. And uh, it was the same way here, except that I was able to focus on the topics of all of the continuing education um, courses that I took because uh, the presenters were so good. They were so good. Um, so this institute highlighted the use of music therapy and psychotherapy techniques in private practice settings, and it explored work with clients presenting with clinical issues like anxiety and depression and demonstrated profound ways that music can enhance the therapeutic process. Um, 
And Barbara Dunn, she talked about in the beginning about um, shame and how shame is about fear and shame means I'm bad and guilt means I did something bad. And the antidote to shame and guilt is self-compassion. And she was uh, talking about this as a component of her practice and as a way to uh, uh, advertise a session that she did later in the conference about um, working through shame and those issues as a clinician. Um, But I thought it was really good information because I feel like a lot of music therapists have perfectionist tendencies which cause a lot of shame because I'm not perfect, right? We have those thoughts. And uh, I've been in a big self-discovery journey, I guess, to to get rid of perfectionism because I do not find it useful. I don't find it a good quality. It just has been harmful. So I would much rather have grace and mercy instead of perfectionism. So um, I, I just found that concept really useful. And uh, she said to hold a place of kindness for everyone and to start with yourself. And this is really powerful quote from Barbara who said this, Um, especially that week because that's the week, like the next day, I want to say, time gets a little shifty when you're at a conference and you're not keeping up with which day is what. But it, it was either Thursday or Friday when the attacks in Paris happened. And, uh, I just kept going back to hold a place of kindness for everyone and start with yourself and thinking about how if everyone held a place of kindness for everyone else, including themselves, these types of world tragedies would maybe, maybe we could change the world with kindness. So I held on to that. Um, And there was another quote that was beautiful. And I think this was probably a quote from an author but again, my notes are a little sketchy, so I don't. I apologize if I'm misappropriating the quote. I believe it was by uh, Janina Fisher, who wrote "Shame, Self-Loathing, and Trauma," but it could have also been a quote from Barbara herself. But it's, "You are who you are, so embrace it." Um, I just love that. Um, so they talked, Barbara and Christine Routier talked about the work that they do and then they did some demonstrations they also did some some case studies and uh, demonstrated some of the work that they do with their clients and then we got to determine uh, or work through some of the the concepts for ourselves uh, so we did you know the mandala drawing and things like that so i i'm hoping I don't know, this session helps me to kind of think a little more about the work that I do, but also about the work that I do with myself and self-care practices and making sure to take time for all of that. And uh, it also inspired me to really, I would really like to have Barbara Dunn on the show um, and possibly Christine. I didn't talk to her, but I talked to Barbara specifically. Christine and I were on a committee together, and so I always enjoy listening to her as well. Uh, but I was going to invite Barbara to be on my show at some point. So be looking for that. So the next day, I attended a CMTE called Brain Tuning, Improving Attention, Memory, and Executive Function Using Evidence-Based Music Strategies. 
And that was presented, the presenters for that were James Gardner, he's a neurologist, and um, Joshua Schrader, who's a music therapist. And I believe that I attended a session on performance wellness by Louise Montello. It was an institute or a CMTE class by Louise Montello um, on her performance wellness practices. And James Gardner was in there, and I was fascinated that a neurologist would come to our conferences and be interested in what we do. Oh, I'm sorry. He is a neuropsychologist. Let me be clear about that. He's a neuropsychologist. And um, But he's been attending our conferences and presenting at our conferences for a long time. And uh, he's in South Dakota and says that he's creating positions for music therapists in South Dakota. So if you need a job and are willing to move there, I would look him up. But I, since then, I have just been intrigued by him, so I started attending presentations that he gave. And he presents, he's so captivating when he presents that anytime I see his name in the program, I try to attend his presentations. And so that's the only reason I picked this one, uh, the CMTE, to attend is because he was presenting it. So he, um, the, the brain training was um, just fantastic. So you get this giant copy of all of their resources, and then basically what they're doing is they're working on uh, music-enhanced training. J- Dr. Gardner and Joshua Schrader are working together to write a book and create a program, I believe, for music-enhanced training that helps to improve attention and memory and problem-solving. And then this course taught us, the attendees, how to use the training to improve the cognitive skills of our students and clients. And so we got to experience some of the um, the experiences that they have as part of their training, some of the training modules, I guess. We got to experience the activities that they do when they're working with their, their customers. Um, and they're also working on a book. So a book will be coming out with us soon. Um, and then we got to practice doing some of the training. And the way that they educated people about the brain was so um, usable and down to earth. And I I really enjoyed it. And I'm immediately taking things away. Plus, the research that they give. So I'll give you the short story that how you can improve your attention, memory, and executive function is by getting enough sleep, eating healthy, exercising, and drinking water. And then there's a few other things you can do too, specifically to help your brain. But those four things that are the same treatment for heart disease and stroke and diabetes and all of these other health issues, it's the same four things. So just keep doing those four things, the same things you're supposed to be doing for self-care. Exercise, get enough sleep, drink water, eat eat well. Do those four things and you're you're doing a lot of good things. So there's your cure right there. All right, so that was Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, I went and took a nap, and it was fabulous. Thursday, oh, sorry, that was Thursday. That was Thursday morning, and then I had the afternoon to take a nap, which was really great, before opening session. So let me tell you about opening session. Opening session, they used to be the most inspiring things to me when I was a student, and I was like, wow, this is awesome, and my field is great, and I'm going to change the world. That's how I felt attending an opening session. I have not felt that 
for probably 15 years. And at the opening session at this conference was so fantastic that I did experience that feeling again. So here's who they had. They had, um, they had. I skipped the, the pre-opening that featured the Rumble, which is the Kansas City Chiefs drum professional drum line, uh, because the Kansas City Chiefs owners also own FC Dallas, which is my favorite team, and they have this drum circle or the, this professional drum line there too, which I think appropriates the role of the supporters groups and FC Dallas doesn't really have a good supporters group culture. And so I was just kind of bitter about the whole thing. So even though I like drum lines a lot, I was not about to attend that. It just made me angry. So, but opening session had featured the same sky project. It was a, a musical that was presented by music therapy clients from a place to be in Middleburg, Virginia under the direction of Tom Schweitzer, who is a, a board certification, a board certified music therapist. And then they also um, presented Lifetime Achievement Awards after that. But this this musical was so fantastic. I want to really encourage you to look this up, Same Sky Project. Um, it had uh, uh, performers uh, very with, that had various diagnoses, and they were holding up clouds that had the, their label on it. So there was somebody with autism, there was somebody that was blind, there was somebody that with dyslexia, there was a, uh, I don't even remember what all the other labels were, Down syndrome, Lyme disease. And then each person sang a song about how I have a disease, um, I kind of, this is who I am for in some cases, you know, there was, autism is hard but then I wouldn't be who I am without autism, so I like autism. It was those sorts of messages, and the performances were so good. They were so good. And at the end, they you know they threw the clouds away with the labels on, and at the end, they brought the clouds back, and they had different labels on, like beautiful and intelligent and, and funny, and it was just a really uplifting and inspiring performance. It's really good. So... I enjoyed that a lot. And then, of course, they have the reception afterwards with the, um, the where you get to go in the exhibits and do prizes and all that stuff. And uh, we went out to get some barbecue, some Kansas City barbecue, which isn't as good as Texas barbecue, but, you know, it was good enough. And, uh, uh, and then there was a president's reception as a conference scholar. I got to attend that, so it was fancy. Um then the next day, I decided to sleep instead of attending the 7.30, was it 7.30 a.m. session. Uh, so the whole time, I only skipped out on three session times, and it was the early morning on Friday, the early one, earliest one on Sunday, and then the last session on Sunday. Um, the, the session that I attended on Friday at 9 o'clock, was on music therapy and autism spectrum disorder tools for educators. So the presenters were Blythe Lagasse, Marsha Humple, and Petra Kern, who were the chairs of the strategic priority on music therapy and autism spectrum disorder um, work group. And they spotlighted the uh, teaching resource kit that's available on the members section of AMTA's website. Um, they presented some of their 
research. They have a PowerPoint for educators to use that looked really good. And so the presentation was pretty much showing the PowerPoint and what you could do. And uh, music therapy is identified as an emerging practice by autism spectrum disorder folks. What we do, though, is an established practice. We cue, we model, we rehearse. But music therapy is unique because music hooks you in and it affects behavior and brain functioning. So um, they also mentioned that funders and therefore AMTA subscribe to person's first language, even though people with autism, some or maybe even many people with autism subscribe to uh, identity first language. So there's a show that I did with CJ and her partner, Sunny, CJ Shiloh of The Musical Autist, and her partner, Sunny, um, about identity first language. And you can take a look at that if you want more information there. But they were explaining why they use person-first language, which is an important thing to understand, and and we can work to change that culture too. Um, but you have to understand where you are before you can know where you're going. All right, and then I attended the business meeting, which was a typical business meeting. They did a State of the Association address, and then um, there were a bunch of awards given out. Um, at 2 o'clock that afternoon... I attended, I'm looking for the official titles in the program of what I attended because I have shorthand titles. The Research Committee presents Improving Quality and Access Music Therapy Research 2025. I also had people talking on my show about this back in at the end of July, I believe. So you can get more information there. So this there, in our conference packets, we all got a copy of the proceedings or no, I'm sorry, the executive summary and the, the, a PDF of the proceedings of all the white papers from that that were presented in preparation for the MTR 2025 were, is available on the AMTA website in the members section. So this session provided an update on the what happened at the Music Therapy Research 2025, including an overview of the recommendations to date. Then they facilitated a discussion. This is uh, the presenter was Barb Ells primarily. Uh, they facilitated a discussion on future research in music therapy, and uh, then the editors of the journals of the Journal of Music Therapy, and uh, which is Sherry Robb, and the Music Therapy Perspectives, which is Tony Meadows. Um, they also presented the, on their piece, and it was really quite good. Uh, to to learn about those recommendations. So the recommendations for researchers and clinicians of areas to focus on are um, our knowledge, what we already know, what the gaps in those knowledge are, and then perspectives, understanding the perspectives of the policymaker, the perspective of the patient, and the perspectives of the administrator and facilities. And we also need to look at our methodology. And our 10-year goal is what the 2025 was working on. There were 42 recommendations from six working teams, and some of those were uh, involving the consumer and clinicians, using diverse methodologies, looking at theory and using diverse theories or coming from diverse approaches, uh, and research capacity building. So our, our ability to consume and understand research and then, oh, the neat thing about this presentation was that students um, of CSUN, which I forget what that stands for, but uh, 
they came up with their vision of what research will look like in 2025 and how they will affect and influence that, which that was an engaging presentation from the students. And a quote from Sherry Robb that I took away from this was, as music therapists, we are all researchers because we take information and evaluate it and act on it. So uh, research is important. And if you need help understanding our research, then you can also listen to this show because we do Journal Club with Megan Masco. Every time a journal is printed, published, and arrives in our mailbox, which I feel like there's going to be one coming here any day now. Um, all right. Then I attended one, oh, called Bill, oh, no, then after that one, I attended one on musical goals. Music therapy goals can be understood musically, too. This was presented by Brian Abrams, Kathleen Murphy, Kristen O'Grady, Noah Poppin, and Laurel Young. And the description of this presentation was that Many in the music therapy profession understand certain aspects of their work according to music as a guiding aesthetic principle. The understanding extends to the targeted outcomes of the work goals as well. This panel shared different perspectives on ways in which music therapy goals can be understood musically. Um, Some of the takeaways that I wrote down in my notes were a, a quote from Sears, uh, one of the presenters, and I'm, I didn't write down names of presenters as to what they said, so I apologize, presenters, for not writing it down fast, like that or giving you credit for saying these things. But uh, William Sears was one of our early developers of music therapy, and he said that most mental illnesses are temporal disturbances. <clears throat> and, and I believe the correlation was that music is a temporal event, and therefore it can help address mental illnesses. Um, Noah Potvin played a clip of a 92-year-old singing New York, New York, and then the verbal processing that followed it, and then asked the music therapist to describe the singing versus the verbal processing part, so the participants in the, the attendees of this session. And so the descriptions of the singing were that uh, the patient sounded confident and there was a good flow and there was creativity in the singing um and the verbal processing the language sounded kind of halting and there was a lot of slurring and and with the disorganized thoughts and noah presented the question did therapy happen without verbal processing and my former student that was sitting next to me in this session, Esther Craven, um, wrote down on her notes, and I just copied from her because I thought it was a really good um, point or observation. It's a good observation that someone singing a pre-learned song is not the same as answering open-ended questions, neurologically speaking. So the organization that it takes in the brain to sing um, a composed song, a pre-composed song like New York, New York, is different than what it takes neurologically to organize answering an open-ended question like, how did you feel, (laughs) right? So the point that was made about musical goals, I feel like, was that you wouldn't write that the client will play the drum 10 times. It was more that 
you would write that something, you know, have it less be a less behavioral goal and more of a expression goal, perhaps. So one of the problems I had with this is um, I've done a lot of reading. I've read all the discussions on the listservs and things about this. I have interacted with the some of these presenters asking questions about this, and throughout all of that, uh, the definition of a musical goal has never been given, or even an example of a musical goal. So I am having trouble translating what that means. Some of the takeaways were that um, we could, as music therapists, explain to the interdisciplinary team that we work with using musical terms and add, and this is why that's important. So the patient... Um, was singing with more fluency and the voice was stronger and he sounded more confident as he sang. And this is important because uh, it means that he's organizing his speech a little better and he's using good breath support. So we could explain it in that way to the interdisciplinary team, which I feel like most of the time we're doing that. And I was also sitting next to uh, Megan Morrow, uh, who works at Tear. She was on TV as, as Gabby Gifford's music therapist. And she said that she explains to her interdisciplinary team in those ways, using the musical terms and adding why this is important, but she doesn't document the musical terms because the people that read the documentation, meaning insurance companies, would not understand, it wouldn't have any meaning to them. So... Uh, another takeaway I had, though, was it, the, the quote, if we want to be a core therapy, then we need to meet goals that are unique to music therapy. If we only work on, for example, physical therapy goals or social work goals, then we will only be a complementary or alternative therapy. And we're also fighting turf wars. So I agree with that. Um, and then they brought up that, that musical functioning is a domain of healthy functioning and therefore music therapy helps improve human functioning. So um, those were the points that I took away to think about further for that. Um, and then the last thing that day was I attended Kamika King's presentation called Building Bridges, Jumpstarting a Music Therapy Program at a Homeless Shelter because I was on one of the I was on the advisory committee that helped to formulate that position for her, and so I was really proud of her. And she, this is a unique program in Dallas um, that provides services for homeless people. It's a homeless recovery center, and it's a, they do really fantastic work. And th they um, had a relationship with Nathaniel Ayers' um, sister. And Nathaniel Ayers was at our conference a few years ago. He was featured in a movie uh, called The Soloist. And anyway, she helped to get music therapy at the bridge, too. And Kamika, I'm just so proud of her. She's a former student of mine. And she is just a dynamic speaker. And she was talking about music therapy in a community setting. And they, they refer to the people that receive the services at the bridge they refer to them guests and the uh, in music therapy 
the guests can access services without having to do anything but attend. They don't have to qualify in any way or have the right paperwork or any of that. They just have to attend. And she talked about the transfer of skills and the outcomes and that come from music therapy, and they're just impressive. Um, she talked about how people that attended her improvisation group um, later started showing some more responsibility in, in achieving and attending some of the other services that are available at the bridge that can help them move towards that recovery. And so for some, it opened that door of the relationship between the, like the social workers and other staff and that guest. And it was just fantastic to hear. Oh, and then the next morning, there's another presenter that I, whenever I see him present, I just say, okay, that's the one I'm going to. Because he presents on some dry material sometimes. Oh, I should also mention that at 7.30 Friday morning was our um, regional meeting, and I find those to be very important to go to even at 7.30 in the morning. It's tough. But that's where you hear about all of the work that the committees are doing at conference, which is really important to know about. But at 9 o'clock on Friday morning, um, I attended a session presented by Eric Walden. And Dr. Walden presents on information that can be difficult to digest, but he makes it really easy to digest. And so his topic was Research Committee Presents Cultivating an Evidence-Based Culture in Music Therapy. And uh, his question was, is music therapy an evidence-based discipline? And we explored this question using recently published findings and perspectives from the literature, the music therapy literature. And there were discussions from the MTR 2025 that he used to help frame recommendations for training, continuing education, and publication. And he's just an engaging uh, presenter. And he used this uh, website called Poll Everyone, and it's P-O-L-L-E-V dot com. And it was free for up to 25 participants. And it allows your participants to um, participate in polling using their text messaging devices. And uh, the polls embed into your PowerPoint presentation so you can see the results of the polls instantly in your presentation. Anyway, he outlined several assumptions. And the first is that evidence-based practice is desirable um, and talked about the concerns too. Um, that was the, my favorite assumption. Um, but the concerns were that the, the medical model may not be appropriate, that there's no consistent protocol, evidence is not relevant, uh, it does not honor the complexity of what we do, it ignores the therapist's expertise and skill, and restricts clinical options. Um, and in psychotherapy research, the relationship, that professional therapeutic relationship, is the highest predictor of success in therapy. Um, and the quality of the relationship as perceived by the client or the student is the highest predictor of success. So it's also a predictor of success in education. Um, so that part I found um, really interesting. And it was a nice discussion on the pros and cons of evidence-based therapy. And some of the conclusions were that music therapy does not have enough evidence base. So we need more, and we need to understand that. But we also need to be able to talk about what evidence is there in a really educated way. So that was good. And then 
that afternoon, that Friday, Saturday, I feel like I attended some other things. Yeah, Saturday is where we are. Oh, I attended something on emotion regulation. That was really good. I'm running out of time in the show, so I'm going to speed through some of this. Uh, let me see. Oh, can music support emotion regulation development, a mixed methods, feasibility study, exploration? This is by Kimberly Sonamore. And she was presenting on her research that she did for her uh, doctoral dissertation recently. And uh, she'll be publishing that. But uh, emotion regulation is the ability to shift and manage emotions. And after her presentation, I sat at the um, task force booth as part of my service on that. And the task force, um, the state recognition operational plan, encouraged us to take 10 ways to take 10 minutes to advocate for our profession. And we asked people to pick one of these 10 ways. So the first was, Email your state legislators and introduce yourself and tell them about music therapy. Second, follow your state legislators on social media. Third, attend community events hosted by your state legislators. Fourth, visit your state legislators' district offices. Five, participate in a state advocacy training. Six, attend a music therapy legislative hill day in your state. Seven, invite your state legislators to visit your workplace to see music therapy in action. Eight, respond to calls to action from your state task force. Nine, add professional partners and consumers to your advocacy team. And ten, stay connected to your profession by joining AMTA. So I would encourage each of my listeners to look at one of those ten ways or more and do them, commit to them, and then tell your state task force what you did. All right? Um after that, I attended the state task force training, um, but I couldn't stay for the whole thing, so I didn't get all of the information. I mostly saw the review of information that I knew about already. But then I left to go to um, the a presentation that one of my friends was doing, and it was called... Sorry, i got to find it so I say it right. Uh, panel. It was a panel. Bridging Art and Science in Music Therapy, an examination of Nora Robbins music therapy and neurologic music therapy. And this was coordinated by Ming Yuan Lao, uh, who is receiving training in Nora Robbins, and Carolyn Dobson, who is a neurologic music therapist. And the panelists were Ken Agin and Blythe Lagasse. And uh, this was a great presentation, and everybody went to it saying, I want to see the bloodbath. Well, I'm here to tell you, it was not a bloodbath. They presented videos in each area, so a Nordoff Robbins working with stroke and an NMT working with stroke. And then Ken, Dr. Egan described how he perceived each video from his perspective, and Dr. Lagasse described how she perceived each video from her perspective. And um, it was it was a really lovely presentation that showed that we're actually it's there's a lot of similarities there's some differences and each one is okay and that's really what the presentation was about and then on sunday i attended the intro to music therapy rethinking that by andrew knight which um is 
because I'm teaching introduction to music therapy next year. So that was my conference experience. It was really, uh, this is one of the best conferences. I went, every session I went to was excellent. And it was so, if I hadn't gotten the money, it's so, it really would have been worth the money had, if you're able to budget it into to your budget, attend conference because it was worth it. Because nowhere else would you be able to collect though that level of presenters and all of them in one place. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I'm going to take some time off for the holidays. You might hear a show here and there. So just follow me at heartbeatmusictherapy.net, and I will let you know when the next show is. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely Thanksgiving if you're in the United States. Bye. <laughs>